Hey, welcome everybody to CBS. We're uh, we're meeting virtually again. I think hopefully we're we're all getting used to this for the time being. Though we're thankful that it's not, Lord willing, going to be the case uh, for a lot longer. One of these days we'll get to meet together in person. But I am thankful for the opportunity that we have, even when we can't meet together in person, to be able to meet together in in this way and still study the scriptures together. And if even if you're alone. Uh, know know that when we're praying together, even though you're not in the same room with people, we as a we as a body of believers are praying together at the same time, all over the city, and 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 um, we're just thankful for those opportunities. So we're going to make the best of them with our thankfulness to the Lord. In the meantime, so but welcome to our Bible study tonight. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and find Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. Um, we're going to continue our our study through this great prayer. That was left to us by the Lord Jesus Christ, which consequently has come down to us known as the Lord's Prayer, or in, in some traditions, it's known at, by its first two by, by its first two words, um, our Father. Someone some to say, let's pray the Our Father. They're, they're talking about the Lord's Prayer, and in Latin, that was uh, Paternoster, right? But we're going to study, we're studying this Lord's Prayer, and we've already been in it for three Week. So if you if you have missed any of the preceding lessons and you want to catch up on some way, you can look on any of our social media platforms. You can look on, um, you can search at Lakeview AU on Instagram or Facebook, or if you want to find the videos on Vimeo or YouTube, you can search Lakeview College Ministry, and you can find all of those videos there. But we are working our way slowly through this prayer called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, beginning with the invocation, our Father in heaven, and then it moves through seven different petitions, seven different requests. Uh, the first three are directed toward the Lord. Our Father in heaven, the first one is, hallowed be your name, and then your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're going to be thinking about tonight. And then the last four petitions sort of focus on us and our neighbors. Give us today our daily bread. Um, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, or as some would uh, interpret that phrase and understand it as, save us from the time of trial, right? And then deliver us from evil. And then we'll conclude with the, with the doxology that's footnoted in, in your Bible, um, because I don't believe, many scholars don't believe it's, it's original to the, to the prayer, but it's still thoroughly biblical, that doxology is, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We're going to cover that because, A, it is a biblical doxology, even if it's not original to this prayer, and B, just that it has come down to us traditionally, like it, traditionally that has been included in the history of the church, so it's good for us to think about. But like I said, we've already been three weeks in this study, and so we're coming tonight to the third petition. Uh, found here, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's good to be reminded at the, at the outset of, of the importance of thinking carefully through this prayer um, as we're doing, because like we've mentioned many times, if you've been here for all the sessions, this prayer is mentioned, is recorded for us two times in the New Testament, once fully here in Matthew chapter 6, and a second time in abbreviated fashion in Luke chapter 11. But either one you look at, 
Uh, and certainly, if you look at both of them together, they, they both impress upon us the, the absolute importance of knowing this prayer deeply. Because Matthew, in Matthew's example here, if you have it open to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew records Jesus' opening words as, pray then like this, pray then like this, and he gives the prayer. When Luke records this prayer, uh, Luke records Jesus' introductory words as, when you pray, say this. So I don't think those two, um, those two introductions are at odds. Both are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and, they, and I think they combine to teach us two truths about this prayer. Coming from Matthew's version, according to Matthew, uh, the way he introduces the prayer, it, 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 it is like uh, the prayer is intended to be a model for us, a model for us to, to pray. So we can pray similar prayers. Pray like this. Pray then like this when you pray. Right? So it's a model for us to follow. Even if it's a model for us to follow, it's supposed to be an example to us, then we'd better understand this prayer if we want to follow its example rightly. Um, but then according to Luke, uh, when he begins to the, the formula this way, so when you pray, say this, according to that, this is not just an example, but he's giving this as a prayer that we ought to pray, that we're to say these words when we pray, and so even still, we'd better understand what these words mean. Um, so that's our aim in this study. I don't, I don't doubt that practically every one of you who are watching right now, um, could recite the Lord's Prayer if asked or if, or if pressed to say it. You probably know it forwards and backwards, uh, word for word, but I do think that the understanding of those words by, by many believers, and, and maybe you, I don't know, the, even though you may know it word for word, frontwards and backwards, the understanding of those words uh, for many believers is woefully deficient. It's like they've said the prayer a lot of times, but they've never given time to sit there and think about what it's saying or what it's asking. Uh, they can pray, your kingdom come. But, if, but if, if asked what Jesus and the scriptures mean by the kingdom of God, uh, they blank. Or, you know, they can pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But if someone asked them to explain how praying it that way. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. How, they say, how, how does that not, how should that not create in me anxiety over my own forgiveness? Because I know how terribly I forgive other people. If I ask that kind of question, they go, well, I don't know. They kind of blank. So this is an incredibly important study. I'm not saying that I have all the answers, but it is well worth uh, combing through this prayer slowly like we're doing and try to get a lot as much out of it as we can. So it's an incredibly important study. So before we dive into tonight's petition, which is the third petition, let's read the prayer again, just so we can read aloud God's word. And then we'll pray and ask God's help for us as we study. So Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse nine, the Lord Jesus says, pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then the doxology that's footnoted, 
For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this is your holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, clear, and necessary word. And we ask as we study it together that you would give us minds to understand the truth. Would you please give us hearts to embrace and love the truth? Would you please give us wills to obey whatever it calls us to do? Lord, this is a very important phrase that we're going to think about. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Please meet with us here as we study your word. Give us the help that we need. Give, give us all ears to hear. Give me the help that I need to teach. Would you do it for the glory of King Jesus? Amen. All right, like I said earlier, our focus tonight is on that third uh, petition there in the second half of verse 11. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And to get the full sense of this petition, we need to come at it from several different angles. Um, first, we need, to, we need to very obviously be clear on the meaning of God's will here. It, 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 because the Bible talks about God's will in more than one sense. So we need to be clear on which way is in view here if, if uh, we're asking for his will to be done. Your will be done. Well, what does it mean by God's will in this sense? Okay, that's an important thing to think about. Second, we need, to, we need to see what we can learn about how God's will is done in heaven if, that's, if, that's the, if his will on earth is to be done in that way and if that's the standard that we're to strive for on earth as it is in heaven. Now, how is it done in heaven? Okay, we'll think a little bit about that. Third, we're going to come back to the, the context of this petition. Okay, um, in other words, I want us to be reminded that this is the third petition and there are two others that have already come before it, as well as an invocation. So we don't need to just pluck this out of the prayer and look at it all by its little lonesome self. We need to examine the phrase, but then also see it in its context in this prayer. And how does what has already come before, how does that add meaning to this third prayer, this third petition? And then finally, and, and perhaps most importantly, we'll see, we need to see how this petition, your will be done, relates to the life of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to try to explain what I mean by that when we get to it. I think this is an, an especially important and salient point for us, especially as we're in the middle of Holy Week. Well, that's our roadmap for thinking through this petition tonight. Uh, and so let's begin with a little clarity on the meaning of God's will in this petition. So Jesus teaches us to pray, Your will be done. And if we're going to pray that prayer with any sincerity, if we're going to pray uh, with any confidence or and integrity, we need to know what he's talking about and, ha and how Scripture directs us to think about it. Because like I said, Scripture talks about God's will in more than one way. Uh, for one, when sometimes when the Scriptures talk about God's will, it, it talks about what theologians call God's will of decree. D-E-C-R-E-E, -E, decree, God's will of de decree. Sometimes you might see it as his decretive will. Um, and that is exactly what it sounds like. It is the will of God in the sense of what God has decreed from all eternity should come to pass in the world that he has made. And scripture is very clear on this, that there is a will of decree that God has decreed over the world that he has made. So Paul says in Ephesians 1.11, and you, you're taking notes, you can jot down these references. 
In Ephesians 1.11, it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to, and here's the phrase, according to the purpose of him, that is God, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The counsel of his will, the, the decrees of his will, right? That encompasses in, this, in that passage all things that come to pass. And it, and, it, and, and, it, um, and it all comes to pass unfailingly because of the counsel of his will and that he decreed it, it all comes to pass. That's Ephesians 1.11. According to the counsel of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will. Or think about uh, the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. Now, I'm just plucking out a few verses. There are many, many that, uh, that describe this aspect of God's will, his will of decree. Acts 4, 27 and 28 says uh, they're praying to the Lord and they're asking for the Lord's help to give them boldness. And in their prayer, the, the apostles say this, and the church say this, For truly in this city, that is in Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do, and here's the phrase, to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. Whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place, that's what they did. So there is a plan, and God has predestined whatever comes to pass in this world. And in that passage right there, even the sinful choices of evil men aren't outside the sovereign rule and decree of God. The favorite, uh, going back to one of the letters of Paul, the favorite promise of, of a lot of people is Romans 8, 28. And you could probably quote Romans 8, 28 in just a minute, they, they, or in your head right now, that, that God works all things according to the counsel of his will, or God works all things for the good. I'm still on Ephesians 1.11. God works everything for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That promise presupposes uh, God's infallible will of decree over all things. How else could God promise that all things, no matter what happens, how could he promise that all things... Uh, will work, will unfailingly, uncompromisingly work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to their purpose. He, the, the way he can promise that is he has already decreed all things that will come to pass and therefore based on what he has already decreed, decreed, which is as good as done, he can make the promise to you that for you who are trusting in Christ, all things will turn out for your good. He knows that. But it's not just the New Testament that testifies to this. Let me just give you one a passage from the Old Testament. Again, there are many, but for the sake of time, I just need to point out uh, a few verses. One from the Old Testament. Uh, this is probably one of my favorites, and it's in the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. It's when the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, who at that time, now this is important because it's this is the, uh, th this adds meaning to what he's going to say. At that time, Nebuchadnezzar was the most important and powerful human being on planet Earth. He was the, the, he was the king of the Babylonian Empire, which was the superpower of the world. No one could overpower the Babylonians at that time under his rule and reign. So he quite literally was the most powerful man on planet Earth at the time. 
God sovereignly caused him to uh, lose his mind temporarily, for lack of a better term, uh, and when he brought him back to his senses, God did that to show his sovereignty over Nebuchadnezzar, as powerful as he thought he was. When Nebuchadnezzar came to, this is what Nebuchadnezzar says in Daniel 4, 34 and 35. He, he said, when he came to his senses, I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion, God's dominion, is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And here's the phrase. And he, the Lord God, does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So those verses, Old Testament and New, testify that before the foundation of the world, from all eternity, God has decreed, as the old confession say, whatever, whatsoever comes to pass, and it unfailingly comes to pass. Jesus said, not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of God. Not even little insignificant things, like a, like a, a small bird falling to the ground. Not, not even the, the most meticulous detail happens according to the decree of God. That's, that's his will of decree. So you take that, that testimony of Scripture about the will of God and, and put it in this phrase. I think when Jesus instructs us to pray and ask God that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, uh, it wouldn't make sense for, for it to be his will in that sense to be done because it is already being done, right? And, and it will be done for all eternity. You could... You could uh, turn that phrase just a little bit and, and, and substitute the will of decree in this, in this uh, request and say, your will be done, like your will of decree be done on earth as it is in heaven. It, you, you could change it slightly and, and, and think about it this way. Lord, I know that your will of decree is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you create in me a contentedness? Would you create in me uh, to be... Uh, content with however your will unfolds in my life. Now, that's, that's a good prayer to pray. That's a good thing to pray. It's not exactly what Jesus says here, though. So Because he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, his will of decree is already going to be done. Uh, it is as sure as going to be done. In God's mind, it already has been done because he decreed it. So I don't think it's his will in that sense uh, that that, uh, that Jesus is talking about when he says, your will be done, not his will of decree. Because specifically in that sense, it encompasses literally everything. But see, God hasn't told us everything. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Now, that verse makes the, the clear distinction between God's will of decree, which we don't know everything about God's will of decree. Uh, it makes a distinction between that, which it calls the secret things of the Lord our God, versus what uh, versus his will that he has revealed to us, right? The, thing, the, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed, right, belong to us and to our children. And it, and it indicates that that revealed will 
is found in the pages of Scripture. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, it was equated with what God had just revealed to them in the law. Right? So this revealed will of God uh, in Scripture is, is not at odds with the, His will of decree, but it is not the same as His will of decree um, in this way. It, it, it is, and I'll try to explain what, I, what the difference is. Theologians have often called this, this aspect of God's revealed will His will of command. But we've already thought about His will of decree, and all of those aspects of His will unfailingly come to pass. But we think about His revealed will and His will of command uh, his will in that sense is not always done, right? In that sense, his will is broken all the time. It is, it is his will that we not bear false witness, but people lie all the time and bear false witness. It is his will that we love our neighbors as ourselves. Yet we fall short of that, way short of that, and we're selfish and we love ourselves more than any other. And we do that intentionally and unintentionally every single day. So his, it is his will, his revealed will is his will. Thou shalt not covet, you shall not kill. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Share with those in need. I mean, it, there, there are many, many, many commands in Scripture that are his revealed will. And I believe it is his will in that sense uh, that, is, that Jesus is most obviously referring to when he commands us to pray, your will be done. We're, we're praying first for ourselves specifically and then for the world generally, right? Um, that we would A, know, that we would know his, his will revealed and written down for us in Scripture and B, that we would do it. That's our prayer. We say your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're talking about this written down will of God for us. The the. the the will that we can either obey or disobey, that can be done or not done. His will of decree is going to be done. It is going to be done. It's never going to be not done, right? But his will of command can be done or not done. We're praying that it will be done, that we would know what it is and that we would do it. A.W. Pink, in his great, 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 I commend it to you. It's a little, it's a little book. It's not very long. It's a wonderful read. Uh, on, it's a book on the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer. He says of this petition, he says, we mock God if we present this request and then fail to conform or fail to make the conforming of ourselves to his revealed will our main business. We, we're mocking God if we say your, your will be done and then we don't, make, we don't lift a finger to try to conform our lives to what his will is. So what else will that require of us? Well, A.W. Pink goes on to say, from a positive perspective, when we pray, thy will be done, we're begging God for three things. We beg God for spiritual wisdom to learn his will, and we beg God for the spiritual inclination to, 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 toward his will, and lastly, we beg God for spiritual strength to perform his bidding. So because as we're going to see, when we relate this petition to the context of the whole prayer and what has come before it, uh, we, we face opposition from every direction in, in the doing of God's will. I mean, that absolutely affects our knowledge of his will and both our inclination and our strength to do it. We need his help to carry out this request. So we pray for it, and we pray not just for ourselves, but for the world. 
And uh, this, this, this is our command um, in this prayer. When it, we're commanded, right? Jesus said, pray then like this. That's a command. Or even in Luke when he says, when you pray, say this. This is a command. So we're commanded to pray, your, your will be done. And so if we're commanded to pray this, this is also our command from Jesus to, to recognize the injustices in our world. Recognize the injustices in our own heart the prejudices in our own heart, and therefore the injustices and prejudices in the world, and pray for justice to be done in our heart and justice to be done in the world according to God's revealed will. We're, we're to pray, we're to see the moral wrongs in our world. We're to pray for moral wrongs to be righted. We're to see them for what they are in ourselves and in the world and, and pray for God to cause his will to be done where there is currently rebellion against it. And there's certainly actions that we can take. There are certainly actions that we can take in the world to seek, um, to seek justice where injustice is done and to seek God's righteousness where immorality is done. I mean, it is, it, it is one, it would be wrong if we just prayed, if we prayed, we saw injustice in the world and we just prayed for it to be solved, but we weren't ever willing to lift a finger in action to address it ourselves, right? Or we see a moral wrong, and we want to pray for God to fix it, but we don't even want to lift a finger ourselves to address it. it we, there is certainly actions that we can take in the world to, to bring justice where injustice is done, uh, to bring righteousness where, where immorality is done, but I, I will say this. At root, while we not we never ought to separate prayer and action, at root, this is something that Jesus is commanding us to pray and ask God to do. All our efforts will be full of pride and full of naught if God doesn't move, right? So we pray first for God to address these things and to, and to bless our efforts as we then get up and try to address them ourselves. But Jesus adds another qualifier here, if you're looking at the text, about how we are to do his will. When he tells us to pray, not only that his will would be done on earth, but that it would be done on earth as it is in heaven, um, that raises the question, how is that? How is it done in heaven? So how is will, God's will done in heaven? We don't have to spend a lot of time on this point because it's, it's pretty simple and straightforward. But again, A.W. Pink is helpful and points us to three basic characteristics of how God's will is done in heaven. He finds them from the book of Revelation and uh, in, in the obedient, obedience of all the heavenly hosts that are in heaven now. And he points out the first two characteristics of the three. He says that in heaven, God's will is done gladly and joyfully. Gladly and joyfully. It's not done reluctantly. It's not done hypocritically. He says, you see that uh, the example he gives is in Roman, excuse, Romans. It's in Revelation chapter five. In Revelation chapter five, where where it says they they're not just um, declaring his praise; they sing it. They sing it, and it says they sing a new song. There's exuberance. There's gladness. There's joyfulness uh, in their in their praise of God, and it says myriad. It's myriads and myriads of them, thousands of thousands. They're all in a, in a tremendous, almost unimaginable throng. And when the song is sung, it says the four living creatures cry out, 
Amen, and the, and the, and the elders fall down and worship gladly, joyfully, right? But the third characteristic we find in the host of heaven is that they do God's will continually, not just gladly and joyfully, but continually. So we read in Revelation 7, 15, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They serve him day and night, continually. So that's the model. And that's the model that's given to us for our obedience. Again, the way that the older confessions put it um, is we owe to God personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. Glad, joyful, and continual obedience. That's the kind of obedience to the revealed will of God in Scripture that we are to pray for and that is to be exhibited in our life as followers of Christ. And increasingly in the world, as, as the gospel increasingly influences the culture by our faithful obedience and witness. But there are two other things that we need to see uh, in this text before we finish. Knowing now that uh, this petition has to do with our glad and joyful and continual obedience to the revealed will of God in Scripture, and not only in our lives, but increasingly in the culture and world around us, we're now uh, able to see how this petition flows very naturally out of what has already come before it and in the broader context of this prayer. And then after that, we'll relate this prayer to the life of Jesus Christ himself. So let's think first about the context of this petition in light of what came before it. It's not hard to see the connections uh, in, the, in the opening, between the opening convocation and the first petitions of this prayer. We address the Lord first uh, in, in, uh, in the invocation as our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. And remember what that, that phrase, that whole phrase, that whole invocation can remind us of. Our Father in heaven. In heaven, it reminds us of his transcendent glory and majesty over us, right? But our Father reminds us of his imminence and his nearness with us as our Father. And the more ref we reflect on, on him in that way, the way I, he says through Isaiah, you know, he is, he is the, the, the high and the lofty one who dwells in eternity, but also with the one who is contrite of heart. He is transcendent and eminent, glorious in majesty with us as our Father. The more we reflect on him in that way, the more his glory and the recognition of his worth in our own hearts flows naturally um, into this first request that his name also be hallowed and revered by everyone and recognized as holy and and not just in me, but in, but 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 I would pray and work to to make your name known, so that it is it is revered and honored as holy, everyone by everyone everywhere, right? And for then when you reflect further, for that to happen, for His name to be hallowed everywhere, will require His kingdom coming in greater and greater fullness, as more and more people submit to the Lord Jesus Christ as their king, and they now see his worth and glory, as you do, right? And consequently, they desire 
for his name to be hallowed in the earth just as you do. And they want to walk in obedience to his revealed will just as you do, which is the third request. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a well-known pastor in London in the last century, in the middle of the last century. And he said in of this context of the Lord's Prayer, exactly what we've been saying. He says, you notice there is a logical order in these petitions. They follow one another by a kind of inevitable divine necessity. We begin by asking that the name of God may be hallowed amongst men. But the moment we pray that prayer, we are reminded of the fact that his name is not hallowed thus. At once the question arises, why do not all men bow before the sacred name? Why is not every man on earth concerned about humbling himself now in the presence of God and worshiping him and using every moment adoring him and spreading forth his name? Why not? The answer is, of course, because of sin. The kingdom and, and, and because that there is another kingdom, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, end quote. So that's another reason why this, the context of this prayer is important to understand this third petition, your will be done, because I, as I hinted at earlier, we face opposition. As soon as we pray that prayer, we, we face opposition from every direction in the doing of God's will that absolutely affects our, our clear knowledge of his will and our, both our inclination, inclination and strength to do it. The scriptures say we have a threefold enemy in the world working day and night unceasingly against us to ensure that his will will not be done by us ever on earth as it is in heaven. That, that threefold enemy is Satan. Satan, and we, you can find this uh, in, 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 in Ephesians chapter uh, 2. You can find it in the early verses of Ephesians chapter 2 that clearly lay out this threefold enemy. Satan and all the forces of spiritual darkness. That's our first enemy, for sure. Second, the world and the culture around us. The, 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 the culture around us is like a stream of water that's constantly moving and trying to take us with it wherever it goes, right? So we have Satan and, and all the forces of darkness, the world and the culture around us, and thirdly, our own sinful hearts. We're our own worst enemy sometimes. But think about this. Satan is active in the world. Satan and the forces of darkness are active in the world, and we are, we are naively blind uh, if we doubt it. Uh, Satan, Satan does not care. He just doesn't care how you fail to do God's will as long as you fail to do God's will. He doesn't care if you do it outright and, and outright intentional rebellion against God, or he doesn't care if you just blithely, un, un, unawares, get caught up in the love of the world and you just forget about God and his will altogether. And because that is true, Satan does not care if you believe in him or not. It, doesn't, it makes no difference to him, but it makes all the difference to you. So we need to see this request, your will be done, not simply as a matter of, of uh, your personal relationship to God, but as a matter of God's kingdom and glory in the world, because Satan is not just isolatedly active in the world. It is, he, he has a king. He is called the God of this world, little g, and his kingdom is the kingdom of darkness. So it is kingdom against kingdom, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of darkness. And see this obedience to this prayer request, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven, as a matter of God's kingdom and glory in the world, pushing back against the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of Satan, who will fully and finally be put down forever when Christ comes again. Let me make one more observation uh, before we close. And I said this might be the most uh, noteworthy of our thoughts about this request, because I'll be honest, almost every time I pray this prayer, if not every time I pray this prayer, and I pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I am immediately confronted with my own sin and my own waywardness. I'm, I'm confronted with how far, far I fall short of the very thing I'm praying for, right? Which, of course, is why we pray for it. But nevertheless, our own wretched rebellion always appears um, when we pray this prayer and this petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's for this reason I want us to end by seeing this request connection to the life of Christ. This is particularly, I think, noteworthy uh, uh, because it's, it is whole week, and we're remembering the last week of Jesus' earthly life. And if you're in our college ministry and you're following the liturgies that we've put out uh, daily this week, we're reading in the Gospels the events of the last week of Jesus' earthly life leading to the cross on Friday and the resurrection on Easter Sunday. So Jesus has taught us here in Matthew 6 to pray uh, to our Father in heaven, as we've seen tonight, that his will would be done above all. To pray to our Father that his will would be done above all. Does that sound familiar to anything in Jesus' life? It sounds exactly like Jesus himself praying in the Garden of Gethsemane right on the night that he was betrayed. So if you have your Bible open, uh, you can turn over to Matthew chapter 26. Just turn to the end of the gospel, Matthew chapter 26. And when you get there, we see uh, that beginning in verse 36, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives uh, with Peter, James, and John. And he asks them to pray while he goes on a little farther uh, to pray alone. And instead of praying, you know, they fall asleep. But look at verse 39. Look at verse 39. And, uh, and it says, And going on a little farther, he, that is Jesus, fell on his face, and he prayed. So Jesus prayed, and what did he say? He prayed saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Right? And now look down in verse 42. Again, for the, uh, uh, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass until I drink it, or unless I drink it, your will be done. Your will be done. That, that Greek phrase right there is identical to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Your will be done. Right? So Jesus prayed to the Father just as he instructs us to. He prays that the Father's will would be done above all, just as he instructed us to. His, us to. And incidentally, he also prays uh, twice, let this cup pass from me if possible. Or in other words, uh, some, some understand, um, uh, lead us not into temptation. They say it should be understood, save us from the time of trial. So if that's true, then Jesus is almost praying that aspect of the Lord's prayer himself as well. So Jesus is both praying the Lord's Prayer in a sense here in Gethsemane. He's also living out obedience to it. 
to, to the prayer he instructs us to pray in Matthew 6. Why is this important? Is the intention here that Jesus is just an example to us of the prayer that he taught us to pray? Well, it certainly is that, but is it only that? I don't think so. Remember again what Jesus prayed here. And he prayed to the Father. He prayed that his will would be done above all. But he prayed, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. If this cannot pass until I drink it, until I drink this cup, your will be done. What is this cup that he was, he was uh, praying about? What is this cup that he was to drink? It was the cup of God's wrath, the cup of God's judgment against our sin on the cross. And, and that being the case, notice the significance of that language within Matthew chapter 26. Uh, what is the episode right before this Garden of Gethsemane prayer? What is, the, what, is the, what is the story in Matthew 26 right before this? It is the, it is the uh, institution of the Lord's Supper with Jesus and his disciples, in which Jesus at one point handed his disciples a cup and told them in verses 27 and 28, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In other words, you put those two stories together, Gethsemane, let this cup pass from me, yet not will, my will, but your will be done. And here's the cup, drink of it, because it's the blood of the covenant for the forgiveness of your sins. You put those two things together. In other words, Jesus drank the cup of the wrath of God so that for now for us by faith, we drink the cup, uh, which is a cup of peace with God through the blood of Christ. So to bring this to a conclusion, when we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and the weight and the burden of our sin and rebellion comes crushing down on us, remember that Jesus prayed this prayer uh, too. And he, he, he obeyed the will of God perfectly unto death on the cross so that by faith in him, we can know that we are forgiven when we fall. And we can, we can trust that he will help us when we pray for his help. And when we pray, your will be done, and all we can think about first is how far short of his will I fall, don't let the, your will be done only cast us back to our own failures let it cast you to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus obeyed on our behalf. I hope that's encouraging to you and I hope you'll take some time after this to, to reflect on it and pray in thanksgiving for what Christ has done for us and pray that in your own life that uh, he would give you the strength and the inclination and the wisdom to do his will in your life as it's done in heaven. And that through your witness, the gospel will increase in this world and his will in this world would increase with it.